Hey friends and faithful listeners of the podcast. Today is a really personal episode for me. I want to let you kind of behind the curtain of Julie and my life. We have been passionate for some time now about prison reform and about what happens to prisoners or often what doesn't happen to prisoners as they are released and as they find their freedom again. And this has been a journey that Julie and I have been on for some time, many, many years. We've had a close friend who was previously incarcerated and now was released. It's a really long story. I I love to share that with my close friends but was released and we welcomed him into our home. He is thriving. So many exciting things happening in his life. He was uh, just recently married and we got to be there at the ceremony and be present with him. And he is a member of our family, a member of our extended family. And one of the cool things that God has put on my wife's heart is for people to be known and to discover their own wiring, for people to be seen as whole and reflected the image of God that they are created in, whether they know it or not. And she found an organization called the Enneagram Prison Project. And in many ways, this combines her heart for counseling or therapy with wiring put together with this incredible tool that we talk about here on the podcast, the Enneagram we utilize for some coaching opportunities. And I just also have gained a ton from myself. Julie and I talk about this in our marriage. It's been so helpful for us to see the world through this lens. And we just feel like it's a really helpful tool in the Enneagram. But this is an incredible nonprofit that has been beyond helpful, beyond exciting for my wife as she's currently in training to go as one of their guides into local prisons and help those who are incarcerated understand their wiring and therefore how they are knit together and therefore how they can be healed and ultimately be an asset to society. And so this has been building for a while now. I hear a lot about the Enneagram Prison Project. Julie, several times a week, is in training and is in Uh, Just these incredible learning spaces where she and others who are passionate about helping those who are incarcerated are learning how many times the prison that we are in is the one we've created for ourselves, and they are physically going into prisons and really seeing a lot of freedom. So I'm really excited about this nonprofit, Enneagram Prison Project, excited uh, to welcome Susan Alessic, the founder and the current leader of Enneagram Prison Project. Uh, And we talk about marriage, we talk about leadership, we talk about how the Enneagram is a helpful self-awareness tool, maybe what some of those are experiencing in prison. And I thought was a really fascinating part of this interview, how they had to adapt, how those limitations of this past year created the innovations that are actually taking them worldwide right now. So fascinating interview. I would encourage you to check out Enneagram Prison Project online. You can find... um, any info you need, their web address, all of that in the show notes. But guys, this is a very powerful episode. If you know anyone who is passionate about those who are currently or formerly incarcerated, maybe you have a friend who is formerly incarcerated, I would encourage you to send this to them. Share this episode with them because there are some exciting things happening behind bars. I'd love to share with you personally at some point, but I think you will love this interview with founder of Enneagram Prison Project, Susan Alessic. Well, Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Alan, for having me. I personally have been impacted by a lot of your work. Julie uh, gets trained uh, every single week in some facet of what you guys are doing with the Enneagram Prison Project. We have a huge heart personally um, for prison reform and for those 
who are leaving prison and they're leaving as different people because of what you do. And so I'm excited to hear a little bit more about EPP, but can you share a couple of spots along the journey of your life? I mean, how did you get here to the spot where you were both passionate about the Enneagram and about those residing in our prisons? Thank you, Alan, for those questions. I would say I've always been a seeker in my life for something bigger, um, more than myself. And I've always loved people. And so those two things um, have looked like trying out all kinds of religions and spiritual paths when I was in junior high, all the way into, you know, college and beyond. And um, I found the Enneagram when I was a brand new mom. And I learned it from a parenting class. So those um, those two pieces came together for me in trying to um, really meet my kids where they were at and recognizing how different they were and how do I figure out what they need. And the Enneagram really answered that. And, but it, it didn't answer it in the way that I thought I was going to get it, which was tell me you know, how to be a good parent. It was more about going inside and figuring out where I wasn't a good parent to myself, probably where I wasn't kind to me. And then as I worked that out, I became more attuned to how I could be more available to each of my kids. Um, I think that was the beginning part of the Enneagram piece for sure. And then how and then, the prison piece of it, how, how did those two connect? Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I, I've always, uh, even before I was married, telling my to-be husband, that I wanted to have four kids before I was 30 and he's a seven and he was only like, you know, 29 or something at the time. And he was like, wow, I don't know if there's time for that, you know, and we don't have four children. We have three. And I just heard that you have four and, you know, I've always, always wanted to have a family. And I feel really of all the things I've ever done in my life, being a mom is one of my proudest, greatest accomplishments and things that's touched me. And, um, I remember when my youngest was about two waking up and feeling, you know, I've been parenting at that point for 10 years and feeling really like I'm going to die if I don't use these other parts of me. I have a really big heart and it's for the world and it's for something I've always known that beyond me. And, um, and also I, I like to think about things. So I ended up thinking of what I could do with the Enneagram. Um, I had been, um, on a path to get certified through one of the the schools actually that was local to me. And I did that um, while my kids were very small. And one of the very first places I got invited to teach was a prison. And I just said, yes, uh, it made sense to me. It was, it excited me. Uh, it felt uh, like a very, um, I, I didn't know the world of prison, but it felt like a, there could be a clear application for this tool there. I had no idea what that involved. And then when I arrived there, it just floored me. And I was um, completely, I would say, convicted by how applicable this tool was for people who are starving to understand something about themselves in a way that um, had never been available to them before. And, and that, was, that was that. And when I came back, I started to commute to this prison over the, the next many months and years. Um, and at, along the same times, I, I was raising young boys to, you know, become what I hoped would be good men. And to me, the work felt so similar. I felt like I was understanding um, a lot of elements of um, maybe parenting I didn't get and parenting I wanted to give to my kids. 
and um, also meeting with people who are really hurting on the inside, um, metaphorically and literally on the inside of a prison. Mm. And um, and I started to see that they also didn't get things. And in, in such interesting, unexpected ways, I realized how connected we were in that way. Wow. Wow. And how many years ago was that, Susan? That was in 2009. Okay. And describe kind of the first few years. What were the joys and what were the challenges of starting something new? Well, there are a lot more joys than challenges. I think even the challenges really did feel like joys because every step of the way, um, things always, I would say, felt surprisingly um, like they would fall into place. Mm. Um, and But usually not in the ways or in the timing that I thought. I mean, yeah. I... I work with type one on the Enneagram, like I'm a chronic underestimator of how long things will take. I'm very idealistic. I see things like I totally see how they could be. I felt every jail and prison in the world the first time I stepped foot in prison. And I and I really, in some ways, don't get all the details that are going to go there. Um, but I am, I'm also really hardworking by nature, by ego, by addiction. And that sometimes can be my own detriment. Sometimes I can make things harder than they are. And so a lot of the learning for me has been just to see what's in front of me and accept that and accept that that's the next step instead of thinking it ought to be something else. And uh, so the, the first example is I was invited to a entrepreneurship program that was existing, existing already in Texas. I didn't create that. I, I didn't even come up with the idea of the Enneagram in prison. I was invited there and I was inspired. And um, I did that for a couple of years, but that's a long commute. And um, I really wanted to do something local to me. So I ended up Googling jails and prisons that were close to me and finding a jail that was 22.2 miles from my home. And I started there. And um, in some ways, they didn't at all get for a while, I think, what I was up to. They couldn't, they'd never heard of the Enneagram. I had a film that I um, commissioned somebody to write to make for me uh, for what I hoped would become Enneagram Prison Project. And um, and I brought that with me in my back pocket. And I, I think I just came with a ton of heart. And the people that I first met in jail eventually became advisors to Enneagram Prison Project. They sit on our community advisory board. And uh, they, they ended up being the angels that allowed me to come in. And they told me later that um, it wasn't the Enneagram, it was the heart that they felt. It was the passion that they felt. And I know that was true about me. I had a hard time admitting or thinking enough about myself, but I've I've always felt so convicted. And I think that carried me f- for a while. And when I was first in that jail, uh, I was like low person on the, on the, you know, entry point. They, um, they watched me, I think, to see was I committed? Was I going to keep coming? I was a volunteer and they gave me a, a classroom full of, of students, but they were students that had already had to um, meet some, t- some requirements in another program. And in jail, it's about how much time, how long are people going to be there before they um, finish their sentence or get re- and get released or maybe get moved to a prison someplace else. And so it's not like prison where things are, people will be there perhaps for a longer period of time. And so my first classes, my first many classes would start with 15 or 20 people. And sometimes I would have one person graduating. And those, those, those moments felt frustrating in some ways, but always to the person, I felt like, well, these are the folks that are supposed to be here. These are the ones that are showing me something I need to know. 
And um, yeah, so I, I don't know if that answers your mm, question. That's good. Yeah. What, what'd you learn about resilience and even fighting through discouragement in that season? Cause many of our listeners are like, I'm there right now, Susan, like one person may be rolling through here or this idea is not catching steam. What did you learn about resilience in that season? I really like that word. And um, part of the curriculum that we use uh, with the Enneagram is to involve something called the ACE questionnaire, which you may be familiar with. It's the Adverse Childhood Experience Questionnaire. And, um, I could say more about the tool, but it's, it's basically a way of assessing what happened to you in childhood. And um, it was a study done between the CDC and Kaiser in 1995, where they surveyed a whole bunch of folks and, um, and asked them questions around childhood experience, and they, uh, uh, emotional, sexual abuse, neglect, household dysfunction, those things. And for each uh, point, each score, each uh, yes, you get a, a point of one. And I, I, I mentioned that because adverse childhood experiences are like interwoven in the basic building blocks of personality that what happened to us in childhood is what um, gives us our capacity for um, being resilient. Mm -hmm. And there are things that happened to us that shouldn't have and things that should have that didn't. And, um, and so I've in, in teaching that and interweaving that with the Enneagram, it's important to pay attention to what are the um, the things that are here for us that are supporting us. And so I would always be um, looking and sensing for what were those elements that, that my students in that first jail class, for example, did or didn't have. And, um, and that's what pointed me inward that the Enneagram points us to what's already right about us to what we already have. And um, I think that's what the tool is for. And, and that to me felt like the, the most honest thing I could say to folks is that you're, there's nothing wrong with you. And there's something inherently whole and, and integral that you already have access to, but the, maybe the practice of pausing and feeling for it and mirroring that back to people um, wasn't really in their experience before. So as I was, um, I wasn't trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to do that. That to me is like the part of me that I just, that's what I, I like to do. That's what I know to do. It's the, the most sure thing I have. And this is a long answer to your question. And so as I, I did that, I found that that was also there for me. And that I realized that, um, that everything outside of me is, is a reflection of me. And I, I got that from a book by Sherry Uber called, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with you. And I, I really have never found anything more true. And so as I was teaching something, I was actually teaching what I needed to learn. I needed to remember that I also was good enough. I also was, um, was enough for those students. I also could come up with the curriculum enough. Um, and it was a practice. So I feel that it was, a, it, it was, it is, it continues to be a gift for me to be teaching what I need to learn. And I'm always forgetting and remembering <laughs> my, my own enoughness. Mm, wow. Tell us about Enneagram Prison Project today. How much time you got? <laughs> I have a lot to say on this one. Uh, EPP has um, never been clearer about where we're headed. 
Um, you know, we're speaking on what I hope is, you know, the the winding down of the pandemic. I don't think we're done. But um, in the last year and a bit, we had to make a massive pivot. Um, our, our vision has always been to free people from the prisons of our own making. And the way we've been doing that is um, been focused on the insides of jails and prisons. But our mission is to help people to understand why we do what we do using the Enneagram on both sides of the bars. And the pandemic gave us the gift of the other side of the bars because <laughs> worldwide, the, um, all jails and prisons were closed to EPP. And we, um, we took our energy and our guides and our, um, our, our wits, I guess, about us. And we took our in-custody curriculum and we built two online offerings to teach it for the first time to the public. The first one's called Nine Prisons, One Key. And the second course is called The Path to Freedom. And we did a pilot and we, you know, uh, offered it to a few folks. We got some really good feedback. And then we we did it in earnest. And, and over the last year and a little bit, we have taught nearly 500 students are in custody programming, but in an online way. And um, so that's changed so many things for us because just now some of the jails and prisons are starting to open up again. and what we um, have always wanted was to have a way of spending more times with the people who would like to be guides. We call our teachers guides. Um, people who want to be guides in jail and prison. We used to have a training program that was nine weeks and we were sort of taking all that curriculum I just talked to you about and putting it in that small period of time and also teaching people the philosophy between behind why we teach what we do and all these other things. And it was just such a heavy lift for the people in training and also for the people delivering it. And now what we have is um, on purpose, we've given everybody that ever wants to be part of our community a way to experience the curriculum inside of themselves first. And that's one of our values is that we do the work together. We didn't really have a way for people to do the work um, besides coming in and joining us in prison, which is not practical. And so what we have found is that um, EPP today is a very, you know, um, quickly growing community because we have a way of inviting people in and into themselves. And then when, when we connect with ourselves, we are so much more connectable and then people have a heart for the, the vision and the mission. Yes. Um, and so EPP today is just having graduated our first path, path of freedom set of participants, about 185 folks. And uh, they, they know so many things. We've never had so many people steeped in our curriculum on the outside. We've had a lot of folks on the inside. And now we're um, we're just opening up our first virtual guide training program. And honestly, Alan, the way we were doing it before, we were, were never going to realize the vision. And we kind of knew it, but we didn't know how we could change it. And what, one of those silver linings from the pandemic was just giving us the space to, you know, focus on this part. And now we'll have, you know, we'll be quadrupling our guide population in the next several months. But it's been happening over the entire last year. I think about that leadership adage uh, is that limitation breeds innovation. And I think about, um, honestly, just as a husband, my wife going through this, I was not excited about my wife traveling across the country. Um, I love that she's going into prisons, but how the heck are we supposed to pull that off with a family of four and things budding on our side of things? And now she's in our bedroom or she's in her office. She's getting trained. She's going through the process uh, and the depth of that and so many of those things kind of spilling over to me 
we've experienced very similar things at Stay Forth this year. We, you know, had many losses up front. Um, we adapted. Those things actually turned into gains and long-term gains, um, deeper training, more focus on our, you know, guides who we call coaches. And it's uh, we've exp- experienced some similar things. It's funny that I'm hearing that right now is that those who invested and adapted are starting to see the fruit over the last, you know, 12, 14 months of what we've seen. Uh, so that's incredible to hear. How many states are you guys serving in prisons and jails? Well, we're, we're largely focused in California because that's where I am. And um, we're also operating in Minnesota. So those are the only two states where physically um, have been operating in prisons uh, for the time being. But Colorado is definitely on our horizon as yes. are some other communities and um a lot of that is is coming clear to us as we have these applicants into the guide training program. And it also is fascinating to me how not just with, you know, what you're describing with you and Julie, how you can have this virtual way of training now. That's also something that the jails and prisons have opened to, which we never expected. Yep. Um, you wouldn't, you could not have convinced me that we would be programming from our kitchens and living rooms in custody during the pandemic, but that's now happening with some very innovative facilities. So it's, it's kind of amazing. And um, we've also never um, actively gone after um, new territories, new States. And um, because we, we frankly haven't had the resources, we haven't had the guides and it takes such a lot of time, as you must well know, yes. to develop deeply inside and be able to articulate the Enneagram, be able to help somebody to understand and see themselves. That is just not a a quick person to train. And so now we can see that we have like this workforce where we'll be able to start being a lot more strategic and thinking how we'd like to roll out our next programs and what makes sense in the next territories. But honestly, I've never really been in charge of that. That's always been something that's come to us. We have affiliates in um, in Belgium and in France and the UK and Australia and Canada. And those all came because the people came and and that was on their hearts. So I suspect that it will still continue to kind of go that way. Man, that's, that's exciting. Um, we've had Ian Morgan Cron here on the podcast before. We utilize the Enneagram as a tool. We often bring Julie in um, to give kind of texture around that. Talk a little bit about um, the self-awareness piece. How does this help a leader to avoid um, some of the pitfalls, some of the blind spots, some of the unhealth that is so common among leaders who are hard charging and doing things. And and there's so much carnage from that. How does the Enneagram help us with our self-awareness as leaders? I think the Enneagram is um, a tool for self-knowing. It's a tool to help us to understand not just what we do, but why and what's driving it. And so getting underneath those unconscious impulses and motivations are, um, it's like you can't change something you can't see. And so it gives us the language. It also gives us the, the you know, pitfalls, the, the wisdom of the Enneagram book calls those the wake-up calls. And I think it's, it's a way of helping us to catch ourselves in, in the act of doing something before we continue down, you know, a, a downward spiral. And everyone is guilty of this. Everyone does this. That's to me, that's job security, right? We'll always have people to talk yep. about with the Enneagram. Yeah. Um, and I think if this just, uh, there are particular ways in which each one of us get, get caught. Um, and it's, it's, a, I think it offers a precision. It offers a, a really, um, 
for me, just like I said earlier, I, I mean, my, my go-to is to work harder. And that's actually not what's needed lots of times. What's needed sometimes is to pause and stop working so that I can mm. sense what else wants to happen. And that has, you know, I've gotten uh, better at that, but I can, I can still get caught there. So I think um, it's also a self-empowerment tool, right? The Enneagram recognizes that we have these three different centers of intelligence. There are things that are, that are really powerful about us. Um, and, and we, we know, uh, for example, that the heart types have some sort of a sensibility and a sensitivity and a, and a um, availability that other types aren't wired to have in that same way. And so when I'm in a meeting with uh, folks, I'm especially because we're Enneagram Prison Project and we, we often show up with our type, you know, and, and checking in with it because it's, it's useful to have that as a, a language around what we do. If I notice that there's a certain set of types missing, if I know that the the, the eights are missing, for example, or if the eights are, you know, if any type is missing, and I'm, I pay attention to that, I can I can feel that like we don't have that go to. In the same way, um, I I work with type eights so is a good example, um, and eight, nine, and one are all body types, and we're all you know working with anger in one way or another, either asleep to the anger or overexpressing the anger. And if I feel some expression of anger from one of the eights, who you know that's more their go-to, it it gives me pause and makes me ask like, why am I not upset about this? So what is not? What am I suppressing? You know, reaction forming. You know, like what am I doing inside of me? So it just just gives me these little tells, I would say. Mm. That's really helpful. Uh, marriages are being hit really hard right now. Really hard season to be a human, let alone to be married, be a parent. Um, how is this helpful in marriages? How is it not helpful in marriage? Give it, okay. I, drill down couple, a couple examples, maybe from you guys, let us as close as, as you're willing as a one and a seven or interacting. How has it been helpful in your own marriage? Even I wouldn't be married anymore. I don't think without the Enneagram, wow. it definitely saved us. We did a ton of therapy, you know, seven, 10 years in, we've been married 25 years in October. Um, in the beginning, we couldn't even paint a wall. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to take that because yeah. I, this is this is the third time I've said this in the last couple of weeks. Rick will laugh. Someone told me early on in my marriage that um, staying married is never falling out of love at the same time, and I I think that's very true. I think the Enneagram is something that helps us to stay in love, not with our partner but with ourselves. Mm. And so when I can um, be more present to me, I can see what I need. And I can see how I can ask for that and give it to myself and sometimes not in that order. So I think we all partner with our emotional equal. And in a lot of ways I was looking for, you know, I partnered with seven and I'm so hardworking. So I'm looking for somebody to bring fun in my life. And then as soon as things are just, you know, all fun and nothing serious, then I judge that. Right. And that's just so, so personality. And so uh, it, it, I think it can show us um, the patterned way in which we partner with somebody who we hope will offer us something that we're not as skilled in offering it to ourselves and then to be able to receive it. So I, I ask Rick for things and I say, you know, what I'm not good at thinking of fun things to do. I'm good at think, thinking of stuff to accomplish and work and all that. Uh, but it's not that I don't like to let my hair down or that I don't want to go do these fun things. I just sometimes need to say, what are some good ideas from you? And then he, he loves that. Uh, 
and and also to value the part that I bring as a partnership. And we are really, really different. And our um, the way we operate and are organized is different. But Rick's a head titan. So he brings a, um, a practicality and an analysis and a, a strategic thinking to things. And I recognize those aren't my forte. So uh, instead of judging myself for not having those, I can just say, hey, this is not how I think. Will you help me think this through? And that's just eliminated so many of the tensions because he, he can feel genuinely I do value for him for what he brings because Enneagram has helped me to see how much how those are such assets that I actually don't have myself. Mm. Hey, that's good. This is the moment where I ask for a little free advice since we're here on the podcast. And well, I'm a <laughs> seven as well. So anything that's been helpful to Rick, I'm sure is helpful to me. Uh, right now, any thoughts in, it's been a very, very heavy season. Um, I'm learning a lot about myself, you know, currently in Counseling Monthly, which has been so helpful for me. I've been a fan at, at a distance, pointed people, referred, um, but really have delved into just a lot of deep work this last year. What are some things that for me and other sevens listening uh, would be helpful for us to think about right now, sort of in this cultural moment? Yeah, but a good question. I feel like um, sevens are the type that really help us to survive um, deeply traumatic, painful, hard things because of the natural way in which sevens see things in a positive way, the, the ability to reframe and um, that's not small. You know, I think that this is a time where we do need to really feel for our optimism and look for the hope. Mm-hmm. And like I just got finished telling you all these silver linings, I'm not making that up. That's real. And sometimes sevens are just the easiest to find them. And of course, too much of anything can be not such a great thing. And so if that's not tempered with or balanced with, oh, uh, hey, there we go. <laughs> I think my seven just picked it up. If that's not balanced with uh, the ability to stay with the more difficult things, then it can be, it's, you know, an imbalance and nobody, I think, can, I don't like to be um, cheered up or shined up when things, when I sometimes just need to feel something. And so what I really admired about, uh, about my partner, my seven during all of this time is the ability to kind of, you know, find, find the balance and be willing to sit with things that are uncomfortable, sit with things that are hard so that we can feel for how do they grow us too, right? If we don't really know the depths of pain, how do we know that we're genuinely in the joy? So, I mean, that's easier said than done, but yeah, that's that's my first hit. That's good. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Susan, we could continue to talk uh, longer. I'm just a big fan of what you guys are doing and pretty amazed at how you guys have pivoted and continue to impact people literally all over the world. Right now, um, somebody listening is excited. Somebody listening has no idea that there's such a thing as Enneagram Prison Project. How can they get involved? How can they learn more and potentially even pursue your guide process? Thank you, Alan, for that question. We have, like I said, these two courses that are now available online. Um, We'll be offering a very uh, exciting and large group of folks, Nine Prisons, One Key, come September. That's our next offering. And we have lots of ways to just come and see what we're what we're about. You can check us out on enneagramprisonproject.org, and there's a um, a link that you can click if you're new and you want to be a community builder or a community seeker. You can come in that way. And there are a lot of us here, so 
um, we we are all about belonging. And I think I've heard someone even on, on this show talk about how the, the first tenet of belonging is belonging to ourselves. So you guys shake in your shoes and, and trust that there'll be a place for you. I can guarantee there'll be a nice reception. Mm, awesome. Well, Susan, keep up the great work. Thanks so much for what you do. And thanks for coming by the podcast. Thank you, Alan. Great to be here. Wow. Really incredible nonprofit, really incredible outreach they have. I love how they're growing at an exponential rate right now. And our family is excited to be part of that growing team there. My wife, Julie, is in training to be one of their guides. And ultimately, uh, bringing uh, that to Colorado is uh, one of the goals, one of the aims that she has. If you or your team are interested in an Enneagram training, uh, my wife would love to talk about that. So you can go on over to the Stay Forth page at stayforth.com. Click on the team tab and you'll find my wife there, Julie Briggs, her email. You can also just email her at julie at stayforth.com. That's Julie Briggs, julie at stayforth.com. And you want to talk about a team training that will help you understand, appreciate, and work better together. The Enneagram is it friends we love the tool it's good it's hard but it gives us a true picture of who we are friends if this was helpful to you would love it if you share it with a friend we will catch you on the next episode of the right side up leadership podcast we'll see you guys then shine, shine, shine. We ain't focused so long.